Let's hear God's word from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, beginning with verse 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, and when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we pray that you would enable us today to hear in the preaching of your word the voice of our ascended Savior. May it come to our hearts with all the authority that Christ possesses. Lord, help everyone listening to filter out anything that is merely mine, but help what is of Christ to stick with them, to be received as the word of God. Oh, Lord, may it work in all of us so that together we cooperate to carry out the great mission that Christ has given to his church. In his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. When the Lord Jesus gives the command go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, a very natural question about that is, with what authority can he do that? Who put him in charge? How can he override every authority, every power, everyone who would say, no, don't do that? There are countries which have laws against proselytizing, as they call it. In other words, trying to get people to switch from whatever they are now to be Christians. And yet, somehow in those countries, Christians find a way to continue to preach the gospel because the authority of Christ is sufficient. Now, Mark doesn't tell us this, but you might remember the preface to the Great Commission in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, there's the answer to that question. Who has the authority to command us to make disciples? Who can authorize us to preach the gospel to every creature, whether they want to hear it or not? Whether somebody says, hey, you can't do that here or not. Well, Matthew tells us Christ has all authority. Now, Mark doesn't say that, but when Mark tells us that the Lord was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, that is another way of saying that he has all authority. 
Who issues this command? Who gives us this commission? Well, the one who is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is not a lesser position. It is the place of supreme glory, of supreme majesty, of supreme authority. And so it is in the name of the one who has been exalted, in the name of Jesus, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if Jesus Christ is Lord, then nobody else is. Nobody has the right or the ability to restrict the command that Jesus has given. With heavenly authority, we are to preach the gospel to every creature. And that brings us to the substance of this command. Christ says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. As Mark expresses it, there's two elements to that. Now, of course, you'll remember from Matthew that the command there is going into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. There's a slight difference in phrasing, but the substance is the same. And Matthew and Mark both have that emphasis on going. Go into all the world. Now, this is something of a difference from how things were supposed to work in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Israel was to be like a city on a hill, a lamp on a lampstand. The nations were supposed to hear of their wisdom. The nations were supposed to hear of what God had done for them, and they were supposed to come and inquire. You might remember in a situation where that worked as it was intended when the Queen of Sheba came because she'd heard of the wisdom of Solomon and she got more than she bargained for. She learned more than she had expected. He answered all her questions and even beyond that. Well, in the Old Testament, that was how things were supposed to work. Through the testimony of Israel, people were supposed to come and inquire. But that's not how it works in the New Testament. We don't set up a model society and wait for people to ask how we did so well. We're supposed to go. We're supposed to find them. We're supposed to scatter and disperse and reach to the ends of the earth. And as we go everywhere, we are to preach the gospel to every creature. Now, when it says every creature, this is not talking about preaching the gospel to your bunny rabbits or to your kennel full of dogs. It's talking about all human beings. If the animals here, that's okay, but we're not going to set up specific preaching stations for them. We're going to attempt to reach every human being. Now, think about the situation where Christ gave this command. We don't know. There might be a disjunction in time between verse 14 and verse 15, or it may all happen together. I'm perfectly open to the idea that Christ gave this commission to his disciples on more than one occasion. In Matthew, he gives it on the side of a mountain. In Mark, apparently, he tells it to them as they're sitting at the table, unless there's an 
unstated change in scene between verse 14 and verse 15. But that's okay. I imagine that the disciples needed to hear this more than once because this is a tall order. This is a big job. Imagine you are one of the 11. You're sitting at the table. You're tired and discouraged and confused. Jesus appears and rebukes you for your unbelief and then says, now go preach the gospel to everybody. No exceptions, no exclusions. You've got to go to the end of the world and preach the gospel there too. That might seem like a lot, especially if you're looking around and saying, but there's only 11 of us. How are we supposed to do that? Well, in the same way, we might look around and we hear the command of Christ. We know with what authority it comes, but is it even possible? Well, it is done by faith. If we just look at the prospects, if we just look at what can we achieve, humanly speaking, sure, go ahead and give up because we're never going to do it. But we're not doing it alone. This is a command that is received, that is obeyed by faith. And we trust the Lord to work. Now, the other part of that is that although we should all be supporting this mission, although we all should be participating in the carrying out of this command, we're not individually responsible for every element of it. So how do you obey the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Well, here's where it's good that we have a church. It's good that we have churches, congregations in fellowship, in association with one another so that different people can focus on different parts of this task, but so that by God's grace and blessing, it all gets done. In order for somebody to go, they have to be sent. Usually, that means that they have to have some way of supporting themselves or of being supported. So one big way that we contribute to preaching the gospel to every creature is through the work of missions. Now, the funding for missions comes from the churches. So when you come to church, when you put your money in the offering bag, that is one way that you are helping. But think about this in different stages. In order to preach the gospel to every creature, we need to be preaching the gospel here. So we have to keep the doors open. We have to keep the lights on. We have to keep the ministry of the gospel functioning here. But that's not enough. We need to do that, and it's very important that we do that. The participation of every member financially, but also in terms of their service, in terms of their commitment, in terms of what they contribute All of that has a reason. All of that has a purpose. It's required by God, but it's required by God for good reason. All of that contributes. It contributes for the preaching of the gospel here. And as we're able to sponsor, to support, to encourage, to pray for missionaries, it supports the going into all the world. You know, we're here because some people left where they were. Well, that process continues. We need to stay here, but some people also need to go. 
Some people need to go elsewhere and start a church there. Now, in the Reformed Church, of course, we try to handle everything in a decent and orderly manner. We're very committed to that. So we don't just randomly send, you know, we're not just going to randomly pick two kids out of here and say, okay, you know what? You guys live in Wasco from now on. You got to start a church up there. Or even further away, even in Delano, or even in Taft, can you believe it? We're not going to do that. We're not just going to send a couple kids. There are going to be people who are raised up, who are called, who are trained, who are examined, who are licensed, who are ordained, who are sent to that work with the blessing, not just of our congregation, but with the blessing of the classes or of the denomination. We're going to partner with people who are already overseas, for whom going is a question of going next door instead of going across the ocean. But we need not to lose sight of why that is. We shouldn't do these things out of habit. We should do these things out of conviction that this is the command of Christ. The command comes to all of us. Nobody who professes the name of Christ can say, I'm not worried about the Great Commission. Well, you should be. This is a command that Christ has laid upon you. But of course, we all contribute to it according to our calling in life, according to our station, according to the specific opportunities that God has given us. I think the real application here is a couple of questions for you to ask yourself. Question number one, have you forgotten? Have you lost sight of? Have you minimized the importance, the requirement for you as an individual to contribute to the church's corporate keeping of this command? Have you forgotten that this is why we're here? That's the first question. The second question is, are you, in fact, contributing to this? Now, when you hear something like that, you might think, "Mm, I need to be a missionary. Well, if that's what God is calling you to do, then amen, I support you in that. We need to talk about it. We need to make sure that you're tested and approved that that is, in fact, God's calling and not just a desire for adventure or whatever else it might be. But I would be thrilled if the Lord would raise up some people that are precious to us, that it's going to break our hearts to say goodbye to. But I would be thrilled if the Lord would send them far away to carry out this command. I'm not saying it's easy. It isn't. But it's worth it because that is our mission. But you don't have to be sent as a missionary in order to contribute to this command. There's praying. There's short-term mission trips. There's giving. There's participating here locally. There's witnessing to your neighbor. There's inviting people to church. Every creature includes shafter as well as Nepal and Pakistan. There are creatures here too. And we need to have our eyes opened to reach out to them. So have you lost sight of this great command? Or how are you contributing to the church carrying out this mission? The reality is we're not going to preach the gospel to every creature without a lot of work, without a lot of sacrifice, without a lot of effort. And so in the church, in this church, we absolutely need people to step up 
to see that these things happen. We embark on this project by faith, but that doesn't mean we despise the means that God has raised up. Christ commissioned his apostles to get started with this. And the work, almost 2,000 years later, is still not done. We need to get cracking. We need to buckle down and get to work on this. Now, when they're sent out, the Lord gives confirmation. That's the value of what it says in verse 17. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And then again in verse 20, it says, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Now let's talk about those signs for a moment. When Jesus says, in my name, they will cast out demons. Well, you remember earlier in this passage in verse 9, we read about how he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Why is that important? Well, it shows you that in the ongoing ministry of the church, it is not something separate from the ministry of Christ. You remember how the book of Acts begins about how Luke wrote this former treatise to Theophilus of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven. Notice that word, what he began to do and teach. So then what is the book of Acts about? It's about what Jesus continued to do and teach through his disciples from heaven. The work of the church The ministry of the church is a continuation, an extension of the ministry of Christ. So as Christ cast out devils from Mary Magdalene, so those preachers of the gospel will also cast out demons in the name of Christ. It's very important to see this. Christ has not stopped his ministry because of his ascension. He continues to exercise his ministry through the church. Very important to grasp that. It's very important for our encouragement. We're not engaged in this work of preaching the gospel on our own, independently, without any help. We are the means that Christ is using to accomplish that purpose. So it doesn't matter if times are hard. It doesn't matter if resources are scarce. It doesn't matter if witnessing is scary. It doesn't matter if the response to the preaching of the gospel is not positive. Christ is with us. He is carrying out his ministry through us. And then with regard to the signs, what was their point? What was their value? What was realistically the payoff of speaking in tongues or getting bitten by a snake and yet nothing bad happening or accidentally consuming poison, and yet you were fine. You came out of it without any problem. What was the value of those healings? Well, it's said very clearly here, the Lord confirmed the word. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 4, he talks about God bearing witness through miracles, through wonders, through works of power. Now, there's a couple of things about this. One is... Of course, some people have 
come to this passage and they've said, okay, so we need to be bringing vipers, rattlesnakes, adders into church. We need to be handling them because, you know, these signs follow those who believe. There's a very entertaining, very engrossing book called Salvation on Sand Mountain about a journalist who went into the snake handling communities and he got to the point where he handled himself. I I read that this past year and... It was, it was hard to put down, shall I say. It was very intriguing. A whole different world. But you might notice, we've got a lot of poinsettias, but we don't have any snakes. Amen. I don't have any strychnine up here to take a sip. Why is that? Well, think about the Old Testament background to these signs. In the Psalms, it was promised that You'll tread on the serpent. Israel was afflicted with poisonous serpents in the wilderness, and the Lord provided for their healing if they would look to the brass serpent that he had Moses make, a sign of Christ on the cross. You might remember an occasion when there was famine and people were gathering, were scrounging for food to throw into the stew pot, and somebody accidentally threw in a poisonous plant, likely a squirting cucumber. Well, Elisha sprinkled a little bit of meal in there, and then there was no more poison in the pot. Then they were able to eat the food. These things happened, at least some of them happened already in the Old Testament. Many of them happened, again, in the book of Acts. You might remember Paul is collecting firewood after a shipwreck, and a serpent bites him, and he shakes it off into the fire, and nothing happened. He got away unscathed. What was the goal of all of that? It was to confirm the word. Here you have people coming and saying, this is the word of God. Well, it's a perfectly reasonable question to say, how do we know that? Well, now we know that because it's written down. Now we know that because we have the historical record of the signs. I'm not saying that God never does anything unusual, but we don't need to expect these things to be happening in an ongoing way. That's not the pattern in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you have bursts of miracles interspersed with long periods of ordinary life have a similar pattern here. There was a burst of miracles around the activity of Christ on earth, around the establishment of the church, and then it's largely ordinary life. I'm not saying God never does anything unusual, but we don't expect this. And by the way, the snakes and the the poison, all of that, that was never meant to be an element of worship. It was meant to convey to you when you go, carrying out this great commission, God is with you to protect you. He's with you in the way that he needs to be to validate that this is, in fact, the word of God, that this is the gospel that he desires to have proclaimed everywhere. But he's also with you for your protection to keep you so that the weapons that are formed against you will not prosper, so that you will not be turned aside from your mission with things like that, opposition and hostility or even accident and disaster. Now, it's not to say that no missionaries have ever suffered in one way or another. When you read missionary biographies or autobiographies, you'll find out that there was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of death. When Alexander Mackay was getting ready to go to Uganda, he told the people who had gathered to say goodbye, he said, it won't be very long before you're going to hear reports of deaths on the mission field. This whole group that's going, many of us are going to die. He survived longer than anybody else. 
but he died too. His message to the missionary society was, when you hear that one or more of us have died, don't be discouraged. Send more people. Send replacements. Well, there are things that happen. There are things that go wrong. But God is with us to protect us until we have carried out our part of the Great Commission, until we've done what we were supposed to do in the mission of the universal church. And then the book of Mark concludes by telling us, Christ has completed his work on earth, so he's received up into heaven and sits down at the place of honor at the right hand of God. And then they make a start on carrying out this command. They went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Now, they didn't carry out everything but they made a good start. And what the Lord Jesus had said to them about how things would work was verified in their experience. Well, here we are many years later. We still have the same command. We still have the same promises. We're not looking to handle snakes in church, and we're not expecting that there will be a lot of signs confirming the word. The word has been abundantly confirmed already. There's no need to add more signs to confirm it. Some things have changed. Some things have not changed. What has not changed is the authority of Christ to tell us to do this. What has not changed is the will of God that this is what we're committed to. What has not changed is the means by which we accomplish this. We still need to go and we still need to preach. That means planting new churches, that means starting new mission works, that means theological education for people overseas, that means a lot of things. We have to pick and choose a little bit, we have to prioritize, we can't do everything, but oh, we need to be contributing to this great command. And isn't it wonderful, isn't it glorious that God has not just given us salvation, I say that as though salvation were a small thing. You know it's not. But God hasn't just said to you, okay, you're fine. You're saved. You're delivered from sin. Now you can be a bump on a log. You can sit back and relax. I don't actually think that would be a gift. God has given us a purpose. God has given us a reason to get up in the morning. God has given us something to do. And that something is to preach the gospel to every creature. Well, that's a mission you're never going to exhaust. You're never going to come to the end of it. But by God's grace, you can make a meaningful contribution to it. We need to see ourselves as not just, well, you know, church fits into the pattern of our lives and we're basically sedentary. We're here. This is what we do. We come to church. We go away and that's it. It's just, it's just habit. We need to see ourselves as an army with a mission, with an objective, with something to accomplish for the glory of our commander. We are the church of God. We are the recipients of this command. This should give direction to our church life, certainly. It's not just about 
fellowship and edification. Those things are important. I'm not minimizing those. And of course, the whole goal of evangelism is worship. So worship is also extremely important. But what we're doing needs to serve that great goal of preaching the gospel to every creature. We have a mission. And if we're not making progress towards carrying out that mission to that degree, we are being unfaithful and disobedient to Christ. I don't want to leave you with, we need to obey or else. I want to leave you with a sense that this commission, this command is an incredible privilege. We should be excited to give our time, our wealth, our health, our lives for the sake of this mission. Because what are we doing? Well, we're proclaiming the glory of Christ throughout the world. That's worth doing. Or look at it from another direction. Through us, Christ continues the ministry that he started on earth. He carries it on now from heaven. But through you, is there a bigger privilege he could give you than working with you to carry out the great mission for which he came into the world? That's a pretty big privilege. Oh, may God help us to accept the command. May God help us to live up to the privilege. Amen.